All right, here we go. Let's pray and we'll get started. Great uh, prayer upon entering. I don't know if you, if you actually utilize these prayers, but they're very nice. This one from the Didache, so second century. Uh, some of the earliest liturgies, you know, right out of the Didache, but this prayer is quite nice. Remember, Lord, your church to save it from all evil and to make it perfect by your love. Make it holy and gather it together from the four winds into your kingdom, which you have made ready for it. For yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, uh, you know, last week, uh, I thought that would be the last crack I had at you until after Christmas, but it, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, you get another chance at people. So you should have, you should have, in, in the way of the gospel, another chance at people. Uh, you should have a handout coming around. This is very similar to last week. But, you know, I, I apologize. I went so quickly through it. I think uh, some of you caught it and some of you didn't. And many of you were just kind of in, in betwixt and in between, wondering exactly what was said. Even, even my own wife said, uh, boy, that wasn't very clear. So, uh, you know you need to start over. What's that? Oh, uh, Westfield House, Africa coming around, dropping some quarters, some dollars if you've got it. Uh, the joys of being a dad. Emma comes running up after the service and said, what's the first thing she says to me? Not, I love you, but I went pee-pee in the big potty. <laughs> Apparently she went right before the Eucharist and said, I want to tell daddy, so I'm very happy she didn't tell me at the altar I went pee-pee in the big potty. Uh, you know, but as you, as you, as you reflect on even last night, you know, we, were, we set up the Christmas tree, and um, growing up as a kid, we had real Christmas trees for a long time, and then I remember about age 10, we, we switched and went to a fake tree, and there's nothing like a real tree, the smell, the look, the feel, um, the fact that you have to care for it, you know, it's, it's alive, you pour water in every night, but Emma is just enthralled with this real tree, and uh, we got it late, late at night on Friday, uh, and put it in the stand but didn't decorate it. She got up in the morning and just, you know, was standing in front of it. And you have this image of Eden because to Emma, everything is beautiful. So last night, her grandparents call and she says, I got a beautiful Christmas tree. Uh, and she said, thank you, Daddy, for the beautiful Christmas tree. And that, you know, that is an image of Eden where everything is new and fresh and alive and, uh, and, and in childlike eyes, it's extraordinarily beautiful. So uh, just watching her is great. Getting back then to Galatians and James. Remember, we, were, uh, we began you know, six, seven, eight weeks ago. This is number eight officially. Uh, we began, though, and kind of ended last time or two times ago talking again about what it means to be a slave of Jesus. And I know we're going very slowly right here through these few verses, uh, but bear with us through verses 15 and 16 because personally, and, and at the end of this, you can, you can think otherwise, but personally, I think... These two verses are key for understanding especially the book of Galatians. Now, we've looked a lot at the beginning of James. We looked a little bit at the beginning of Galatians. But right here, I think it's very important that you understand who does the verbs. And if you understand it from right here, Galatians 2, 15, and 16, the rest of the book will make complete sense. So that's part of the reason why we're spending some time here. So just bear with us. And then after Christmas... You know, then we'll go seven, eight, nine verses at a time. But I think this is, this is quite important. You see their point one, getting to the heart of the matter, incorporation and participation. And, and just, you know, I don't know how many of you know exactly what we mean by that. I don't know if we know exactly what we mean by that. In part, I can tell you this, very basically, incorporation means you residing in the body of Jesus. And participation means 
you having fun and enjoying all of his gifts. And you might talk about this in the way of justification or sanctification. Justification means you are forgiven. Sanctification means you live forgiven. That's fine if you want to talk about it that way. Um, but as you'll see as we read the books, books as a whole, Galatians is primarily about getting inside the body of Jesus or Jesus getting inside of you. Paul says both. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he also says, uh, you know, I've been brought into the body of Christ. And James then is primarily about what it means to live forgiven. So that talks, that talks a ton about the Christian life. Or as you heard today in the sermon, you know, good works don't save you, but the lack of good works might kill you. Okay? Good works don't save you. Uh, but as the Lutheran confessions say, good works are necessary uh, because they're the, they're the indicator that you reside in Jesus and Jesus resides in you. It's simply Jesus doing what he wants to do through you. And that's the message of James. So James is urging you to live the life that Christ has called you to live. And if you see that life beginning and ending in Jesus, then that's a gospel word. If you see that life beginning and ending in you, then that's a law word because you can never live that life. And that, of course, is the problem in Genesis 1. Adam and Eve tried to live that life on their own and everything fell apart. Uh, but with a new Adam, it just might be possible. Okay? So remembering where we've been, your assignment last week was to think through the Christmas holiday. So think for the past five or six days um, about what Eden was like and what the new Eden might be like. Okay? What comes to mind when you think of, when you hear the word Eden, or we prayed it in the prayers today, that they be ever reminded of a new and better Eden to come? You know, we didn't choose those words lightly. We really thought through that. What comes to mind when you hear that? When you hear the word Eden, or when you think of the place Eden, what, what comes to mind? What jumps out at you? Tell us more. That's very, uh, that wouldn't be my first thing, but it actually makes sense. So tell us what you mean by it. She said harmony. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, something that you don't actually experience every day of your life today. Um, and that is the great, just to play off that, that is the great message of, of the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus, when Jesus is born in the manger, the angels sing, glory to God in the highest and, highest and peace to his people on earth. And then as he enters Jerusalem, they say, peace in heaven which means in the person of Jesus there is peace on earth and there is peace in heaven or there's peace in Eden. So harmony, okay, that's good. What else comes to mind? Yes, and all the ones that you don't like. Did I tell you, I told some of you, the possum story? How many of you heard the possum story? Raise your hand. Not all of you, so I'll say it again. Okay, one trick pony. This is what they do in Bingen. Yeah. Uh, so we have, this is great. Possums or rodents and reptiles are two things I could really live without. I remember in sixth grade going to the zoo and the, and the snake eating the rat and this girl that I really, really liked throwing up all over her shoes. So that's part of the reason why I don't like reptiles. And uh, out in the front of our house, you know, we have two flower boxes. And a couple weeks back, Abby said, boy, one's tipped over and I hear some stuff moving and I can't quite figure out what that is. And I said, you know, I'm the guy who cuts the grass, so I'll pick it up, and Monday I was taking the trash out, and 
I lifted up a turned upside down flower box thinking it just was turned upside down. And what's underneath? A possum about that big. Luckily, I got the tail and not the face, okay? Because you should have seen that thing. So then I called animal control. I thought paying taxes for Wheaton meant they pick stuff up like that. They don't. Um, I'll save you the phone call and the embarrassment. I called and they said, I said to the woman, what, you know, well, what should I do? And she said, get a long stick and turn it over. I'm not going to get a long stick and turn it over. So $125 later, Critter Control got a long stick and turned it over. Uh, but when they picked that bad boy up, I thought, that's why you won't be in Eden and I will. They are, I'll tell you what. Okay, so Harmony, yes, all your favorite pets. If you love it now, there's a chance it'll be there. Uh, what else comes to mind when you think of Eden? Yes, God's presence, uh, how so? Yeah, right. A new, a new kind of relationship, one that you really don't, don't know now, because still, in a sense, his presence is veiled. He veils himself behind bread and wine. He's there. Um, but as, as the church has always said, soon we will see him face to face. Okay? What else? Harmony, God's presence. I just think utter beauty. That's why I led with Emma and the beauty of the Christmas tree. You know, you'll say that about everything. Wow, that is beautiful. Wow, that is right. Yeah. Right. But yet, he was perfect enough and awesome enough to create a second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, even, uh, that's very, very well said. You know, his, what he knows is different than what he determines will happen. So he knows, even before the creation of the world, uh, he knows that Adam in the garden will utterly betray him. And yet, he follows through with it. Um, which just proves that of his, of his nature, of his essence, we say this all the time, he's not wrathful. A wrathful God would have said, I know that you're going to tweak me, and so I'm going to tweak you. But of his nature, he is pure mercy and pure love, and frankly, he's pure relationship. What he wants is to be a friend of yours, which is also why the church has said that even had Adam not fallen into sin, there's every chance that the Lord still would have sent his son into the flesh because that changes the way in which you relate to the Lord. You have a different relationship now. He's not the eternal logos, uh, but now he's the logos made flesh. He's the word made flesh. And you are, are blessed to have a relationship where you can actually meet him and touch him and consume him and have him become what you are and you what he is. That's the joy of the altar. Okay? John, what you're going to say one more thing? Yeah, it would be your, yeah, as we said, as it says in the outline here, you know, um, you would bear the image of the one who created you. You know, you would have an Eden body. Um, And that's a, you know, there's no cancer there. Uh, You don't die there. And that's what, uh, that's why, you know, the Eucharist is everything, because Jesus brings an Eden body back to the Eucharist, a cancer-free body, an unsick body, and he touches you. That's what it's all about. Okay? So, look at your outline then. Remembering where we've been. 
And it's always good to think, think about it this Christmas. Christmas is a time to think about all the great things that have happened in your past. Even setting up the Christmas tree for me, it's not emotional, but it's, you think about all the good times you had as a kid and all the times you'll have with your family from here on out, all the days the Lord will give you. So this Christmas, think about all the good things the Lord has done and begin in Eden. Remembering where we've been. Jesus did the verbs, and it's very important to get this right. Jesus did the verbs, and he worded this creation into existence through his eight-sided speech. You remember that in the, in the, in the scriptures, uh, numbers mean a ton, and eight in particular is the number that will have no end. Jesus rises on the eighth day. He meets the apostles in the upper room on the eighth day. Boys are circumcised on the eighth day. Noah, you know, on the, in the ark, eight folks are saved. Just read in the scriptures and see where the number eight appears. Well, it's fascinating. From the very beginning, the Lord speaks eight times. If that number means, uh, if that number really is the number that will have no end, that means that the Lord's speaking things into existence. The Lord's speaking things into existence will have no end. And so every absolution is a little Eden. Let there be. Let you be forgiven. Every Eucharist is a little Eden. He's creating something out of nothing. The body and blood is there. Okay? And in receiving the creative word, John, this is your point, creation bore the image of the one who created it. It bore the very goodness of the Trinity itself. You remember, everything in creation is good until he creates man and woman and suddenly it is very good. Tov ma'od in the scriptures, in the, in the Hebrew. It is very good. And so things were right in every sense of the word. We have no concept of this. Right creation, right relationship, right worship. Orthodoxy is not about doctrine. It's about worship. Right life, right love, right marriage, right family, right mind, and every other kind of right that you may or may not be able to imagine. But as you know, then, with one betraying bite, and this is where everything changes, the Lord does all the verbs, and suddenly now Adam and Eve do the verbs, things go terribly wrong. And this fallen cosmos was in need of cosmic healing. Okay? This fallen cosmos was in need of cosmic healing. And that is also that's also part of the reason why Jesus rises on the eighth day, the day of the new creation. Um, he didn't utterly destroy his old creation. Had he utterly destroyed his old creation, Jesus would have rose on the first day. Okay? The day of the old creation. But what he does is he takes a fallen creation, a creation that's betrayed their creator with one bite, and he redeems it. He restores it. Because uh, had, he, had he destroyed the old creation, that would mean that he hated you. He doesn't hate you. He takes who you are and he makes you new. So finding our way back to Eden, the way back to Eden is not the way of retracing our steps. You can't fix this problem. You cannot fix... I mean, betrayal, this is why betrayal cuts so deep even today. Betrayal ruins relationships. Um, and, and, and I was just thinking today as I, was, as I was at the altar how conscious even faithful Christians need to be of betrayal because it's so easy to do it. I mean, yeah, Adam and Eve may put up a little fight in the garden, but it takes all of 10 seconds. 
and suddenly Eve thinks there's a better way, and frankly, Adam's the one who's at fault. If you bang on Eve, you've got it all wrong. Adam is the pastor in the garden. Adam's the pastor. And in the garden, it's his job to tell his bride what's right and what's wrong. Adam should step in. The verbs used of Adam are tend and keep the garden. Those are the same verbs used of the Aaronic priesthood. What are priests supposed to do to tend and to keep? It's Adam's fault. Adam falls. And you can't reverse that. And Adam, you know, Adam is made in the image of the Creator. How much more easy is it then for folks who, you know, the economy is bad and the weather's not so great outside and your kids are off at college, they're all leaving today or yesterday. How easy it is to fall into betrayal. And that, that destroys people. We are children of Adam and Eve and cannot undo what's been done. So then Newhouse, yes, he's a former Lutheran, yes, he's a Roman Catholic, but he's a bright guy and we can learn something from everyone. There is no returning to that paradise that was. The way to the tree of life is blocked. Remember the two angels outside? Lost is that innocence so bright with love. What would it be like if everyone was completely innocent? You know, little babies aren't even innocent. They're the most selfish creatures in all the world. It's true. If you don't believe in original sin, just watch a young child. It's all about them. Now we need faith, and we'll find out whose faith that is, for the truth is not transparent. Now we need hope, for we know we are not what we are meant to be. The way to paradise is not the way of return. It is the way restored. It's an eighth-day way. It is restored by the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, a new Adam, Jesus Christ, a new Eve, Mary, the mother of the faithful, a new tree of life, the tree of the cross. That's why the Lenten proper preface says, you know, that by a tree, you know, from where death arose, so life also might rise again. Okay? Death comes by a tree and life comes by a tree. All is restored. Today you will be with me in paradise. The only one who can reverse the curse is a new Adam. And he's only a new Adam because he's faithful where the first Adam was not. We need one who can rectify, who can make wrongs right, who can right this horrible situation and turn it to good. And so then St. Paul, Galatians chapter 2. If you look on the last page of your outline, you should have those two verses there. St. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's talking to Peter here and all the other teachers. We're just like you, Peter. Just like we're Jews. We're not Gentiles. And yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. So then back to page two. A person is not justified. A person is not justified by works of the law. Works of the law mean that you do the verbs. And the problem, and this is, again, let's just, you know, uh, had, I do, had, had I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't even have put this in because 
I'm afraid you all took it the wrong way last week. But let me just explain myself for a moment and then take it or leave it. If you don't agree, that's fine. I think, however, there's a problem in rendering the verb here to justify. A man is not justified. And then later on, that same Greek word is used as a noun, and it means righteousness. Okay? Those have two different connotations in the scriptures. One has a bit of a legal connotation, and one has a moral or an ethical connotation. And here's the problem. I don't think, at least for St. Paul, that would lose the linguistic connection. Okay? That would lose the linguistic connection. Those two words need to be connected. So you see here, note well, the intention is not to play the legal, God's act of justifying, off against the participatory, or righteousness on your part. Or to say it another way, this is not meant to play forensic justification. The Lord declaring you righteous, boom, you once were out and now you're in, off against sanctification, your participation in the divine life. Rather, the intention, is to, the intention is to find a word that captures the heart of both, as these are two sides of the same coin. There's one coin, the Jesus coin, and one side of the coin is justification, and the other side is sanctification. But you know from the scriptures, those whom he justified, he also sanctified. Okay? So don't, don't think that this is trying to throw forensic justification by the wayside. It's not. And don't think it's trying to hold off on sanctification. You are being sanctified as we speak. It's a process. But if you have Jesus, you have all that he is and all that he does. Okay? And this is really, this is really just utterly Eucharistic. Um, if you come to the altar and you consume only flesh and blood, you're just a cannibal. You're just a cannibal. And that's what the early church, or that's what the early church always got uh, uh, convicted of, being cannibals. And if you come to the altar and it's just bread and wine, you're no different than the Reformed. But in the supper is the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Jesus wrapped up in bread and wine. You consume all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. If you actually believe Jesus is at the altar, and if you actually believe what St. Paul says... In Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Then if you consume his body, you consume the entire Godhead. This is the great story. My first, my first or second week here as a pastor, I made a shutting call, and the woman right after the Eucharist said, thank you very much, but I really don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit anymore. And I looked at her and said, don't have the Spirit. You just consumed Jesus. And in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And it's the same for you. Whatever the Trinity is given to do, you are given to do as well. Because you and Jesus, as you heard for the past four weeks in the sermons, you and Jesus are one and the same. Okay? When you walk out of here and you look in a mirror, you should see Jesus. That's what you should see. Okay? So, the solution then, let's render the verb, at least for this exercise, let's render the verb as rectify, which means to make wrongs right. And the noun, rectification. 
With that in mind, then, St. Paul is announcing that God is making right what has gone terribly wrong by both declaring you right, forensic, and making you right, participation. But how does he do it? And this is really, this is where we need to spend the next 10 minutes, okay? Because this is everything. He does it through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you just read it in the English, it makes it sound like you have faith, you have faith in Jesus, and that is how you are justified. But if you read it in the Greek, it's actually not that simple. Okay? It's not as simple as saying it's all about my faith. This is The great heresy is you just got to have faith. No, that's not how it works. Okay? And you'll see in just a moment, it's about Jesus doing the verbs first. So, in the Greek, faith is a genitive. And if you've taken Latin, don't raise your hand, but if you've taken Latin, you know that there are genitives in Latin as well. A genitive connotes belonging or possession, as in faith belongs to someone. In this text, faith belongs to someone. And the question is, whose faith is? Is it? But remember where we started. Jesus does the verbs. Jesus gets the first word. Everything said in the scriptures is said of him before it's said of us. And so all genitives belong to him before they belong to you. If we actually say Jesus does the verbs, all genitives belong to him before they belong to us. So this faith is a subjective genitive. It's Christ's genitive before it is your genitive. Or it's Christ's faith before it's your faith. So literally it should read like this. A person is not rectified by works of the law. That would be you doing the verbs. But through the faith of Jesus Christ. And you remember especially, the reason that Jesus is called the new Adam is because where Adam was unfaithful, Jesus is faithful. The temptation in Luke 4 is simply a reincarnation of the temptation in the garden. Where Adam falls, Jesus stands strong. This is why Jesus dies on the place of the skull. It's one skull. It's a single skull. It's a man's skull. Whose skull is it? The church has said, wow, that might be Adam's skull. Because Jesus reverses the curse of Adam. When Adam did the verbs, he was unfaithful. When Jesus does the verbs, he is utterly faithful. And so St. Paul goes on, so we also have believed in, or literally in the Greek, we have put our trust in, Christ Jesus, in order to be justified or rectified by the faith of Christ. So just let me go through this very carefully now, these last, these last couple points here. Okay? Prayerfully, slowly, faithfully. We believe, you and I, we believe only because Christ believed first. And he wants us in on his believing. Or we only have faith because Jesus had faith first and he wants us in on his faithfulness. And you should hear this not, I mean, this may be new, but here's the thing, 
as I say there, this is pure Lutheran stuff. Jesus has faith for you and then delivers it to you as a gift, allowing you or inviting you, inviting you is a gospel word, he invites you to play within his own faithful life. So Jesus is utterly faithful and he delivers his faith to you and invites you to receive it as a gift and play within his faithfulness. Or as you heard for four weeks, to do as he does. And because it's Jesus and not you, it's a gospel word. Or as Martin says, Christ's faith is not only prior to ours, but also causative of it. So when you go home today, you should think about this. Not about my faith or my beliefs or my trust. You should think about the fact that your faith is Christ's faith. Delivered and received. The delivering is the forensic bit. That's the on you bit. And the making it your own is the participation bit. That's the sanctification part. But both happen at once. So he doesn't just forgive you to go off and be a puppet, but he forgives you and puts himself into you and says, be forgiven and live forgiven. Those are two sides to the Jesus coin. So give this translation a try then. God's act, God's act in Christ's faith is our rectification. Thus we have placed our trust in Christ in order that the source of our rectification should be what God purposed it to be, Christ's faith. Or to simplify it even more, you are made right because Christ had faith. You have put your trust in Jesus in order that your being made right comes solely from Jesus' faith and not from you. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Jesus does the verbs. And all of that locates the rectifying act of God, his making wrongs right in the flesh of Jesus Christ. It's in his body. If you don't have his body, you are not made right. If you don't have his body, you're not made right. But if you're in him, incorporation, baptized into Christ, preposition of motion, if you're in him, you have his faith as a gift, and if you have his faith, he invites you to do as he does, participation. Okay? Yes, go ahead. Um, the Bible I have here has an explanation of uh, 216. Yeah. Perfect. That's, ex that's exactly what happens. Hearing is so utterly important because you remember Jesus gets, Jesus gets inside of you in three ways. He crawls through your forehead at baptism. He crawls through your mouth at the Eucharist. And through preaching and absolution, he crawls through your ear. This is, this is why the Annunciation is so important. Mary hears the word and Jesus is suddenly in her body. And it's the same thing here. Faith comes as a gift. Faith comes by hearing. So Jesus, the faithful one, crawls into your ear, and because you and Jesus become one flesh, what's his is yours. Which naturally leads to a good life. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. 
It's all about Jesus. Yes. Uh, I, uh, the question is, and then I want to finish with one thing from Luther. The question is, what's the difference here between us and Roman Catholics? And I presume you mean uh, in relation to good works. Yeah, in relation to this. Well, I think, I think Martin actually is a Catholic, the, the author of this commentary. Um, and actually, the whole idea of Jesus being the faithful one comes from a Lutheran. So, strange. But, um, the difference is, what I'm proposing to you, or what Jesus is proposing to you via St. Paul, is that the life of good works is not done by way of force or compulsion. But it's freely received and freely lived because it's Jesus who does it and not you. And I think, and the, the simple answer is what Bruzek said in his sermon, good works don't save you. But the lack of good works might kill you. Or let me just read what Luther says, okay? Because this might answer the question. This is Luther from 1522 originally, and then revised in 1546. You remember, he dies in 1546. So this may have been, you know, he's very ill. He's near death. He makes this revision. This is from his preface to the New Testament. And he says, faith is not the human notion and dream that some people call faith. Okay? And that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's not about warm feelings. It's not about I believe. It's not, as Luther says, a, a, a human notion and a dream. Which means it's concrete. Faith, however, says Luther, is a divine work. It begins with God. In us, which changes us, participation, and makes us, forensic, to be born anew of God, John 1. It kills the old Adam, there's a new Adam, and makes us altogether different men. You're not the same person you were before you were baptized. You are different. Ontologically, I don't know, but you're different. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers. This is Eden talk. And it brings with it the Holy Spirit. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done. That is a law question. Do I need to do them? But before the question is asked, it has already done them and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. Okay? That's late Luther. It's pretty reliable stuff. Because what he's saying here is giving you the Lutheran answer. Faith is a gift. Faith comes from Jesus' faithfulness. It is delivered to you. You receive it. And then you live the life that Jesus has called you to live, and that is a gospel word. It's a for-you word and not an against-you word. But to ask, must I do these works, that is a law question. And law questions only get law answers. Okay? The gospel question is, who is Jesus, what has he done, and what is the life that he has called me to live? And as Luther says, if you're not living that life, you are an unbeliever. Okay? Or, or from last week's gospel, you know? Don't try to dupe the Lord. 
He knows some of you will reject him. Some of you will come to your senses. And another group of you might live the life that kind of looks like a Christian, but when push comes to shove, you're not doing what Jesus does. Okay? So there it is. Let Jesus have the first word. Remember, it's Jesus' faith, not your faith. He gives it to you, and then he calls you to live the life that a faithful Christian would live. He calls you to live his life. Okay, does that make sense? Any questions? Yeah, George. Yeah. Well, that would, oh, that would, George, come on now, it's almost Christmas, which means the Lord's coming to choose everybody. Uh, well, I, I would certainly not want to be the man who would say that. Um, here would be a better way of saying it. The Lord speaks to people, and as Melba's Bible says, when he speaks, he delivers his faithful body, his faithful self, okay? Now, there are some people who will outright reject that. However, if the Lord doesn't get you on the first try, he's never going to stop coming back. And so I would be a fool if I would say that person wasn't chosen. There are plenty of baptized people who reject the faith down the road. However, the Lord never gives up on people. Even in the scriptures, in the Hebrew, where, where, where uh, Pharaoh, you know, we always say, well, look at he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Look at how he just, you don't believe in Jesus? He'll get you back for it. Well, in the Hebrew, it actually says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so the great heresy is not the George Michael song. The great, was it George Michael? A little before my time, I'll admit. George Michael was not the George Michael song. It's Burger King, have it your own way. If you want it your own way, eventually the Lord might let you have it. But he's never going to give up on you. Okay? Will there come a time? Yeah, but that's not for you to decide and it's not for me to decide. So if the Lord speaks and you say, I don't want that right now, be ready because he's going to come back again. He's going to come back again to try to deliver his good gifts. Okay? Jesus is pure mercy. Okay? One more. Yeah, go ahead. That about wraps it up for today. Um, uh, yeah, but here, let me, let me just, yeah, there are, um, but two things. I don't, I don't want to go on record having said anything about that. No, the point is, let me, let, me give you what, let me give you what the Lutheran confessions say about this very question. The question of, does, some, does God choose some and not others? is meant to bring comfort to the Christian, to know that God has elected you before the foundation of the world, and also, frankly, to move you out. Part of the reason, part of the reason we have missions, part of the reason we're sending you out to live like a Christian is you don't know who the Lord's chosen. And are there some? Yeah. Um, and however, uh, the whole question is meant to bring you comfort. You're part of the elect, and he sent you out to do his bidding because you don't know who is and you don't know who isn't. And so you do what Jesus tells you to do. You deliver the good gifts and hope, this is the, this is the parable of the sower, you just keep doing it and you hope that it sticks. And the Lord will sort it all out, but always let mercy trump wrath or mercy trump election. He is merciful. Okay, he is merciful. This, and don't, don't, no one go home and write on a blog that Pastor Gainick said everyone is saved. That's not it. However, it's a fun question to ask as one of the church 
One of the great uh, theologians once said, von Balthasar, might we hope that all men be saved? Now that, that's the question, the question of a Christian. Might we hope that, if you don't want all people to be saved, you are not a Christian. From the Jews down, if you don't want them to be saved, you are not a Christian. The Christian says, might we hope that all men be saved? Okay? That was a bit of a dodge, but <laughs> that's what you get at 11 o'clock. Anything else? Any last words before you're dismissed? Yes, he did. The question, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the question, it's a very good question, did Jesus die for all? There was actually an old, there were a group of Lutherans who sadly read the book of Galatians and Romans and said, Jesus didn't die for all, he only died for the elect. And these Lutherans are still alive, and it's, it's, it's quite a miserable thing um, because it's hard to be a Christian and say that. Jesus dies for all. This is, I mean, this is why, this is why even, you know, Pastor Bruzik has said, he gives life to those who crucify him. Or as you'll hear on Christmas, the great message of Christmas is, he gives life to those who come to greet him. I mean, without the babe in the manger giving life to the creation, he has no gifts, he has no family, he has no nothing. But yes, he dies for all. He dies for all of creation, uh, and he prays that when he delivers his good gifts, they stick. Okay? If he doesn't die for all of creation, uh, wrath is of his nature. Good question. All right, here we go. Let's close, and we'll see you. Uh, please come to Christmas, Advent services, little Tizay stuff at Advent. It'll be very nice, quiet, in the dark. Um, come to that, and then uh, we'll see you again back here, I think, after Christmas. Okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.